0: Welcome into the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. It's Thursday here, and we don't have a dedicated day for quarterbacks, but we figured maybe we'd give the quarterback a little chance to speak. Chuck Zotta here along with our quarterback, Mark Schofield. Mark, it's your day today. It's my day? It is your day. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I'm excited. What do you
1: want me to talk about? (sighs) Kickers. All right, I could talk about kickers. You know who's (laughs) a pretty good kicker? George Blanta.
0: George Blanta. You know what? Probably not only a good kicker, but probably gives me a run for my money in terms of best athlete ever to play the position as well.
1: This is very true. A so, tremendous athlete.
0: Outstanding athlete. Let's talk quarterbacks. We're not going to beat around the bush any longer here. You've got this, uh, this series that you've been putting together over the last couple weeks on Bob Stitt's offense. Bob Stitt being the coach at uh, University of Montana, heading into this is going to be his second season at the helm there, correct? That's right, my friend. And talk to me a little bit about uh, Stitt and and really just in general, the type of offense that he looks to run before we start to dig into any of the nuances.
1: Right. Well, basically what you're looking at, it's what we call a single back offense. Um, You know, it's got origins that date back, you know, years sort of at the collegiate level. Um, Stitt himself was a coach at the Colorado School of Mines, a Division II school it's obviously a heavy engineering program, and he would go to these you know, coaching clinics in the summer and talk about how he's got you know brilliant guys that get great scores in the ACTs that run four seven four eight four nine at the wide receiver position, but they're putting up forty fifty points a game using this offense. And the reason why I wanted to dig into it a little bit, Brady Gustafson, who people might remember, actually beat Carson Wentz. In the season opener last year, these two teams, North Dakota State and the University of Montana, met. It was the Saturday before um, the FCS—I mean the FBS—games actually got underway. So it was the first sort of game after the long summer without any actual football. This was the first game where the points mattered at any le- level, NFL, college, and ESPN was there to see Carson Wentz. They had Brett Musburger, they had Jesse Palmer, a nationally televised audience, everybody's excited to see Carson Wentz and Stitt and his offense under the direction of Brady Gustafson Gustafson throws for 434 yards and they pull out the win on the final play of the game. And even though Gustafson got hurt last year, he still put up some good numbers in this offense, and so he's already being talked about as a guy that people should probably watch for next year. And the reason why I want to dig into what this offense looks on the field and how it operates is Chris Burke over at um, Sports Illustrated said, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how the NFL tries to evaluate a guy like Gustafson running that offense. They might want to figure out what it is. I was like, Maybe I should do that, too, before I start opining on this guy.
0: So if if you had to take a few core concepts that go into what Bob Stitt runs for Montana, talk to me about just the top two to three looks and the two to three most common wrinkles that he puts into his offense.
1: Well, I mean, there are a couple of things that I want to talk about. One is the fly sweep. And that's something that people saw a Bob Stitt offense, Bob Stit play run by West Virginia in the Orange Bowl against Clemson a couple of years back. Dana Holderson, um, friends with Bob Stitt, put this play in with Tavon Austin for the Orange Bowl. And basically what it is is you run fly motion, which is kind of a slot receiver coming in motion across the formation, across the football with the quarterback and the shotgun. And Stitt's and a lot of teams, sort of the single back offenses would run what's called the fly sweep where ball gets snapped to the quarterback and the shotgun who then – tries to time the hand up handoff perfectly to the fly motion, that slot receiver coming in motion and hand it to him around the end. But you gotta get the timing down perfectly. If it's, you know, a guy's a step late, step early, the play can get screwed up. If the snap's low, the timing can can get screwed up.
0: Is that something that you just run in practice until you
1: have that timing down? I and you run that. And when I was in high school, we ran, we we called it scissors, where you would have the guy come in motion. He'd fake the dive and then hand it off. And again, even the timing on that, when you're under center, it's tough. So Stitt years ago had this idea that, look, why hand the guy the ball? Have the quarterback take the shotgun snap and throw it forward because if the timing gets screwed up and the ball hits the turf, it's an incomplete pass. Oh, that's – so You you kind of like eliminate the need to have perfect timing because say the fly motion guy is kind of a a little bit late. So the quarterback gets a snap. It's just basically like a shovel pass. Motion guy is a few steps early. It's a little bit longer shovel pass, but there it is. And so – West Virginia did that in the bowl game against Clemson, and Tamon Austin scored like four or five touchdowns. And they put up like seventy points or something like that. And Holgerson gave Coach did a shout out in the post game interview. John Gruden was like, "I've never seen this before." He was, his Gruden's mind was blown. And when you blow John Gruden's mind, you've done something right.
0: Yeah, it's it's not, it's not just you know a spider Y two banana or whatever it is. I mean, yeah. you're you're talking something that's got to be unique. How much does. Uh, Stitt's experience at Colorado School of Mines play into the development there? I'm just looking at it from the perspective of, okay, if if you're at the D2 level and don't necessarily have the caliber of player that you do at a higher level, is this something that he may have developed out of necessity? Just saying, look, I need to take risk out somehow, and this is one way that I figured out how to do it. I
1: think so, and and there's another element of his passing game that I really want to kind of talk about a little bit, and that, you know, and this is something you're going to probably hear a lot about as people start to dive into Guftison as a NFL prospect, whether he can make the leap to an NFL offense. If you read interviews with Stitt, stories with him about his offense, where he talks about how he constructs the passing game, he comes out and says, "Look, I simplify things for the quarterback. I make it easy." as I can for him every pass route or basically every pass route has one route that's going to beat man coverage one route that's going to beat zone coverage one shallow route and one deep route and if you look at the passing game while most of the plays have all those four routes some may be sort of you might have the shallow route that's also the man route you might have the deep route that's also a zone beater but they have those core elements and so the quarterback his read structure is simplified He'll still make reads. He'll go from one read to the next to a check down. But he knows, okay, if I confirm man coverage at the snap, I'm going to look to that man route. And in one of the pieces, you can see how it comes together. They're running um, sort of a variation of the snag concept, which is sort of a triangle-spaced passing route. You typically see it with a corner route that snag route, which is a slant that kind of curls up, and then a route to the flat. And those three pass patterns kind of set up a triangle. Stitt does some variations on that, and one of the variations he does, it's a deep curl, a flat route, and he brings that shallow route across the field from the other side of the formation. They get into the same three sort of areas on the field that set up that triangle like you see in the snag concept, but he just does it differently. And in the example that I have in one of the articles, that shallow route, it's the man-beater route because Gustafson runs it, he takes a step, he's looking at the coverage, he sees that it's man coverage, the deep curl, it's got two guys on him because it's covered by man coverage. The flat route, got a linebacker on that. So now you've got that slot receiver running that shallow route across the formation from the other side of the field, and he's just basically running away from a linebacker. So once Gustafson sees that it's man coverage, that's right where he goes with the football.
0: What's the toughest thing for a quarterback to pick up in the system in Europe? If you were playing quarterback, what would give you the most problems initially trying to uh, adapt into this system?
1: Well, one of the things that's interesting is, and this is something that's going to be in the third part of the series, um, how they handle blitzes. Um, That's as a young quarterback, sometimes reading and reacting to a blitz, you might get flustered. You might think. Uh, what am I going to do with the football? Some offenses structure hot reads to be sort of seam routes to a tight end or just to check the ball down quickly. Stitt kind of puts that concept on its head. A lot of the blitz reads for quarterbacks in Stitt's offense are vertical routes, they see blitz, they immediately look to one of the boundary receivers, the guys along the sideline, and throw a vertical route, and they try to do it with a back-shoulder throw. Stitt loves the back-shoulder fade, the back-shoulder concept, because and this dates back to when he was doing these coaching clinics at the Colorado School of Mines, when he was having these receivers that were running four seven four eight 7 They couldn't burn guys deep. But if you can get vertical enough and throw the back-shoulder fade, that's a very tough route for defenders at any level to defend whether it's Division II, the FCS level, or even in the NFL. I mean, you can probably see a cornerback at the highest levels of football get beat by a perfectly thrown back shoulder throw. So if you work on that, incorporate it into your game, you can draw on that even in the face of a blitz.
0: Now, with last year being Stitt's first year as the head coach of Montana, obviously he doesn't have his players in there at this point. And if you look at his track record at Colorado School of Mines, First five years, two and eight, seven and four, seven and four, six and five, and then made the jump to twelve and one after winning uh, his first conference title. There, what do you see him potentially being able to do to expand this offense? And what other new wrinkles do you think he can throw in this year to continue to throw new things at defensive coordinators?
1: I mean, what's interesting about the way this offense is structured is it's you know I'm doing a three part series on it. I'm talking about all the variations and the little wrinkles that he has to do. It. It's at its core, it's a pretty basic offense. They really only have two, maybe three formations. Six, if you count, you know, their mirrored concepts. I mean, it's basically you know dual slot, dual slot formations two receivers to each side of the field, two by two. You know, three receivers right, one receiver left, and a trips. Late last year, they brought in sort of a trio concept where they had the wind tight end in a three by one, and that's what they rolled out there. I mean, so they they're just it's all a lot of window dressing, but using the same core concepts. I'm curious to see if they expand upon the vertical concepts. I mean, it's a lot of, you know, four verticals or three verticals on a shallow. I'm curious to see if they incorporate more deeper passing concepts. One of the routes that they l- like to run, and I like it a lot, is this sort of. Shallow and hunt concept where you've got in a two by two formation you've got the two boundary guys that are each going deep. One of the slot guys is going to run that shallow route, which is a crosser over the middle, right by, right by two and behind the linebackers. That's a nice man beater route. Again, back to that one route to beat man, one route to beat zone. The other slot guy will run what they call the hunt route, which is sort of a deeper crossing route where you're trying to get behind, well behind the linebackers in front of the safeties, and he's just looking for grass. He's looking for an area to sit down. If it's zone coverage, he's going to sit down in the first available zone window. If it happens to be man, he's going to stay across the formation on a dig route. A lot of college offenses use that hunt route, either they call it a hunt or a search concept. I know Purdue does that, but Stit has both of them. Now, again, this... That little route concept gives you all the elements of Stitt's offense that we've talked about. you have got a deep route, and that both the two vertical routes are, go- are deep routes, and that hunt route is a deep route, and you've got the man-beater route, you've got the zone route, it all fits nicely. So I don't know if they really need to expand. I mean, this is sort of a long-winded way of saying that. I'd like to see them do them do, see them do some different stuff, but I don't think they really need to. If you've got to play like that, you can beat any coverage with it.
0: You mentioned that this is a relatively straightforward and simple offense. Is that something that is going to affect NFL scouts in their view of their quarterback Brady Gustafson? I mean,
1: it's a simple offense in the way that they've like simplified the read structure for Gustafson at least up until this point. Now, if they expand the playbook more and give him more sort of more more complex read structures where it's not just, you know, identify and throw or identify and st- throw to one of three different guys, you know, it it might sort of improve his stock. But Bob Stitt's job isn't to improve Brady Gustafson's draft stock. It's to win games in the big sky. It's to get them back to the playoffs and hopefully advance past the second round. I mean, this was a team that got to the first round of the playoffs. They beat South Dakota State. Then they had a rematch against North Dakota State. And even though Wentz was on the sideline for that game, the North Dakota State defense made some adjustments and based upon what they saw earlier in the year in that season opener, and they were able to sort of contain that offense. So, you know, I don't know how much more they have to expand things. I think what they'll probably end up doing is Stitt's going to add some, you know, some more wrinkles to that offense, give Guff perhaps a little bit more responsibility than That offense now that he's not a first year starter. But I'm very interested to see how that all plays out.
0: Very good. Folks, if you haven't taken a look at it yet, the uh, the first couple parts of that series are already up on Inside the Pylon. Mark, you said, uh, are we going to have another one coming out this week or is it next week?
1: Yeah, it, it should be up this week. I'm you know, putting the finishing touches on it right now, so it should be up, um, if not today, very soon.
0: Outstanding. Well, again, make sure you take a look on InsideThePylon.com. Uh, let's do a quick Twitter question, Mark. We haven't done one of these in a while. Ooh. We got a Twitter no, question. Yeah, we got a Twitter question. This one's from uh, Chris Hilsinger Pate. I hope I pronounced that correctly. If not, you're not the first person's name that I ever messed up. Uh, the question is inside the pylon, is there any second round receiver who could potentially outperform the first rounders? I went through, I took a look at the list of all the uh, receivers in the second round, and I came up with Roberto Aguayo.
1: Really? that that's an interesting prediction i i i don't know if i'd agree with that <laughs> but great I mean, hands for a
0: kicker great hands for a kicker
1: i'm i'm sure he does have great hands for his kicker um yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question. I mean, I'll, I'm, I'm trying to pull it up here. I've, uh, I've, I've,
0: I've got a list. I so I've
1: got a name. I just want to verify it. I've
0: got I've got two guys, I think, who potentially could do some damage here. The, the first one, and kind of my favorite, is Sterling Shepard with the Giants, just because I think he falls into a pretty good situation where opposing defenses are yeah. going to be, fo- you know, obviously focusing on Beckham for much of the game. You've got a dependable quarterback in Eli Manning there. Uh, And and I think you have the potential to get some touches early on and really have a prominent role in that offense since the Giants have not had a solid number two uh, with Victor Cruz being hurt for much of the last couple of years there. So that's where I'd kind of go on the top of my list. I think Michael Thomas with the Saints has a chance, but you know I, I think the Saints have more question marks than the Giants do at this point, and so because of that, I just don't know if you're going to see quite as much there. Thomas's skill set also might be one that takes a little bit longer to translate to the NFL.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Shepard's probably the the right call here. I mean, I I think the Giants already this week named him a starter, um, so you know he's going to get a lot of run, get a, a lot a lot of reps in that offense. And he's a guy that I think had a first round skill set. He just, you know, there are just another it was a numbers game.
0: Size. It's it's yeah. pure, it's pure I think look, it's, he's a guy who's 5'10 and teams just don't take 5'10 receivers in the first round.
1: Yeah, I mean, if he had another inch, he'd be the same same exact size as Corey Coleman.
0: Yeah, it's you know, it's you just don't see guys that and and look, that that 5'10. Yeah. You know, I I watched Sterling Shepherd play. I don't know if he's actually 5'10. In any case, I think Shepard is probably the uh the pick that ends up Uh, with the greatest potential to outperform those first-round receivers. But we'll have to see. You know, we're, we're getting pretty close to training camp. we got about six weeks to go until actually five weeks, I think, until camp opens now. Closer every day. It continues to get closer. But we are going to call it a day here uh, for the podcast, Mark. Uh, another another
1: good show. always like talking Bob Stitt's offense. Yeah, can do more of that.
0: Absolutely. Again, if you haven't taken a look at those articles, make sure you go and check them out. Uh, they are up on Inside the Pylon, and we do have another one coming out later this week. Chuck Zotta and Mark Schofield, we are done for the day. We'll catch you tomorrow.